Painter, we're back. We're here. We finally have a game to talk about, an actual real-life football game to talk about. How are you, bud? Uh, I'm good. I'm excited. That was a good way to start, I would say. It was a really good way to start, I think, for, for Auburn for a lot of different reasons. And I think the context of what Auburn did got a whole lot better um, once you saw what else was happening in the SEC on Saturday. It is the Auburn Observer Podcast. Justin Ferguson, Painter Sharpless is here as always. Painter, you, uh, you had to... Perform some uh, some friend duties yesterday, but you got to watch the game. Yeah, it worked out well. The wedding was in the evening, so I got to get to the church right after the game was finished, and we kept up with what you alluded to a minute ago, which was a really great day of, of you know SEC football, first week of SEC football. Man, uh, the first quarter and a half, I was like a little bit nervous, you know, because it was kind of unfolding in that nightmarish scenario for Auburn fans, and then I thought they settled. And, uh, you know, what you mentioned with the other teams struggling, some teams like LSU losing, Auburn mm-hmm. fans should feel pretty good about a top 25 win. Yeah, Auburn 29, Kentucky. 13. This is our recap podcast uh, for those of you who might be new or might not recall from, from past episodes. Here's what we're going to do. Uh, every Sunday we are going to try to put up one of these sometime during the day on Sunday recapping a podcast. This will be 100% free every single week. The Auburn Observer goes behind the paywall uh, on Thursday this week. So our, our preview episode for the Georgia game coming up will be uh, will be premium. So you can pay $6 a month or 60 for the first full year at auburnobserver.com. Uh, hopefully by Monday I'm going to have stuff set up for people to go ahead and, and convert themselves into paid subscribers so they'll, they'll be ready for the content that will be coming at the Observer on Thursday. But uh, we are going to recap it. We're going to talk a lot about this Auburn football game. Auburn 29, Kentucky 13. Like we said, Tigers get a win. A weird win. And this is this kind of the final score kind of Felt like what I what what I kind of expected from Auburn. That defense was going to hold them out of the end zone, and the offense was just going to be kind of stop start. I, Painter, I was thinking while I was watching the game, and you were up in Birmingham, but I was thinking while I was watching the game, you kind of nailed it in the fact that you said there were going to be a few drives from this Chad Morris offense that people were going to get excited about, and there were going to be some that looked sloppy. And lo and behold, that's kind of the story of the offense in this game. They gave you enough to feel really excited about. They gave you enough for that sort of teaser quote Seth Williams gave us recently where mm-hmm. it's like, we're not going to talk, we're just going to show you. And it's like, ah, yeah, like this really does look different. The attack obviously looked different. Some of the routes receivers are running look different. You could tell that this is not a carbon copy of what it is we've seen in the past, and I think that's exciting. And it worked, but there's still some deficiencies, most of which I feel like we also expected. I got it wrong in this way. I thought it was going to be a little closer. Mm -hmm. Uh, Auburn's offense came alive some in the second half. The defense did exactly what you mentioned. I thought this would be a single-digit win. And as it got closer, I actually didn't think Auburn was going to cover. And, of course, they did that with a little bit of emphasis. So, all things considered, like, uh, you know, again, not, not so bad. Well, Painter, it was my top observation on Saturday that really stood out to me from this game from Auburn was that they were the younger team, especially up front. Uh, and, and I mean younger in terms of experience, not as necessarily as much as like age, you know, and, and class, but they were the younger team up front. They were the younger team pretty much at every level of the field than Kentucky. 
and yet they played the cleaner brand of football. And that was the difference in the game because Kentucky was the one that had the three turnovers. Kentucky was the one who turned the ball over on downs in their own territory. Um, Auburn, not only did they play a clean game of football, it never really felt like they were going to turn it over as much. Like they're, like Kentucky could have had even more turnovers in that game. And Auburn, uh, to their credit, it wasn't always the most explosive and most efficient brand of football, but it was clean. And in a, after an offseason where, like, I think every coach in America was worried about how their team was going to look, the fact that Auburn had such a really good game um, and, and, and such a clean game out of it, I think speaks a ton of volumes about this team, where they can be. Because if they're young and playing clean, they're, you think they're only going to be able to get better as time goes on. First drive for Kentucky had me nervous because they bust off a bunch of – two big plays, one through the air, I think on a screen pass, uh, and another the, – the, the touchdown run for Kentucky that puts Eddie him Grant, on the board. Eddie Grant did a really good he, job in his return to Jordan Hare Stadium. Um, he wanted to isolate Auburn's linebackers and, like, get them kind of leaning one way or another. They would load one side of the field and then hit the other side. They did a good job of kind of manipulating. And they dominated Auburn on third down for the first quarter wow. and a half. I mean, Auburn just couldn't get – they would and, – and they were in good third down situations, right? Like they were setting themselves up for, for success. So it was a credit to them there. And a lot of Kentucky fans, and if I were in their shoes, I would want to focus on what appeared to me to be a pretty clear touchdown um, and obviously a big swing of momentum. But – what I'm not hearing from that side of Twitter so much is what you mentioned, which is that they had all the turnovers. Auburn did turn it over on downs twice, if I remember correctly, but both in uh, Kentucky's territory, once deep uh, in Kentucky's territory. So, and by the way, I like the fourth down calls. I thought going for it there was the right move offensively. Yeah. But that aside, like, yeah, Auburn played the cleaner game, and I know that they got the rough end of the, the deal with that, that call at the end of the half, but uh, I saw someone on Twitter uh, looking at, like, the box score and saying, you know, Kentucky outgained Auburn, and it's like it's a little context, you know. A little bit of context goes a long way. Well, yeah, because you know I put it out on Sunday morning on Twitter. If you want to figure out why, it's that Auburn's success rate was significantly better. Their uh, PPA, which is something I'm trying to do a little bit more of this year, for those of you who don't know it, it's a version of EPA in the NFL, where it's basically expected or predicted points added. So like every play. In college football, depending on where, what down and what distance it is and what yard line you're on, there's like, okay, if you run out all the scenarios, this is how many points are expected per play. Like, of all the scenarios, how many you could get. And so when you score more on those plays, or when you, you know, you do a better job on those plays, it shows the efficiency. For example, Eli Stove had a really good PPA average yesterday because whenever he touched the ball, Auburn was either scoring or making, or, you know, getting in position to score. So, you look at that and just Auburn was the much more efficient team. Kentucky held on to the ball and they converted all those third downs, but a lot of it was for not. I mean, they had the one possession where they thought they scored and then the interception and, and, and the return that came off of that. They had another, the, uh, the opening drive and then they had another in the second half that looked good. And then other than that, it was a lot of empty trips and it was a lot of, you know, really rough uh, outings. And if you think, okay, well, all, you know, all yards are the same. Yeah, if you want to think that, if you want to think all yards are the it's same. It's obviously it? not true. Uh, but, you know, Auburn had more yards per play. Uh, Auburn had a better success rate. They are a better projected team. And I believe I said to some extent that I thought that this could happen where the teams would move the ball on on offense to some extent. 
but not be able to get into the end zone. And I thought that would happen to Auburn uh, on some level. And I think I compared it to the game against Ole Miss last season. And I would say that happened to an extent. Uh, but, you know, they almost put up 30 points. This is from Bill Connolly's SP Plus um, roundup for this week. Auburn, by the way, up to number six in SP Plus, one of the few SEC teams that looked good on Saturday. Um, so it should help them out moving forward. He said Kentucky's 29-13 loss to Auburn played out as a toss-up. Kentucky committed a number of devastating turnovers that allowed Auburn to take the lead before the Tigers tacked onto it later on. SP Plus didn't necessarily see it as a toss-up, though. Auburn's success rate was 10% percentage points higher than UK's, and Auburn executed a million times better in the end zone. For a game that was considered to be a toss-up, he said, Auburn's post-game win expectancy was 98%. So... <laughs> You can look at the box score and be like, well, how did Auburn win it? Auburn was supposed to win that game because they were the more efficient team with their opportunities. I think it was like something something along the lines of Auburn had five trips in scoring position and scored 29 points. Kentucky had six and had 13. Like that, that tells you a ton about the way that this team played. And yeah, Auburn rolled the dice on a few, on a few uh, occasions. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. And I, I like the fourth down calls. I had no. Uh, I had bring no. Bringing Batman back out on the first touchdown. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I, I liked on the first drive. I think they had just gotten around the fifty-yard line, going for it there. I think that's a, a part of the field where it's statistically advantageous to go ahead and go for it. Plus, it was your first drive, so g- give people something to be excited about if you want to look at it that way. And then I didn't mind them going for it on fourth and one. I was surprised they didn't convert. Yeah, but that's still a problem. But you know, and that's something we'll probably get to because it was mm-hmm. a, a part of that run game. There's a stat I saw somebody pointed out on Twitter uh, defensively for Auburn. I think they had three missed tackles all day. Which, one, is obviously impressive in at any year, point. Of the, but, but given the, the season and everything we've spent the last six months discussing and just tackling. You remember the Florida-Miami game last season? Yeah. It was like embarrassingly bad watching them try to tackle. And, and I'm, I'm kind of pulling that one out. I don't know why that game sticks out for bad tackling. Really but, yeah, beginning of the season, usually that's the case. And – that's a that's an area where you can point to Auburn's coaching staff, you know, figuring something out and harping on it in the in the off season. Malzahn said they had three scrimmages where they tackled a ton. He said they probably tackled more in fall camp than they had ever before in a fall camp because they didn't get to go through spring, and they really wanted that to be an emphasis. And he was he had said it a couple times leading up to this game. The team the, the teams that tackle well are going to be the ones that that look good early. And lo and behold, Auburn was that team. All right, I feel like we got a lot to get to on it, really in all three phases of the game. And I think that's how we'll kind of tackle it instead of going kind of beat by beat on, you know, first quarter, second quarter, mm-hmm. and all that. Because I think there were highs and lows throughout the game for both sides. Let's start with the offense and let's start with the obvious one, uh, which is this Bo Nix played really well. Yeah. This was the game he needed. Absolutely. Not only was it exciting to watch, but statistically, I know he didn't do what K.J. Costello did, no. but we looked at his uh, adjusted completion percentage. I believe it was 16 of 22. Yeah. Uh, instead you of take out the throwaways and the drops, he played a pretty clean game. I think you, you mentioned three throwaways for Bo, two drops credited to his receivers. So 16 to 27, I think, was his official uh, completion line. But mm-hmm. 
the decision making was excellent. Unlike Terry Wilson, who did some great things in this game for Kentucky, especially early, he did not turn the football over. And that confidence we saw, it was there. It was obvious in the way he was playing. I loved the amount of ish he was talking when he was walking off the field at halftime to the Kentucky players. That was fun. He was he was a little bit critical of his teammates at times. Uh, there was a bad snap at the end of the game when Auburn essentially had that game locked down and he wasn't getting on to his teammates, something I don't think he would have done last year. There was a lot tangibly and intangibly I liked from Bo Nix in this game. Bo averaged 8.6 yards per attempt, which is a good number to have. I think that's top 25 in the country so far this year. His his pass efficiency is like 13th in the country. Deep balls were really good. He, I mean, you could, all three of his touchdowns were phenomenal uh, throws for him. And he just, this offense is going to have to lean on him even more so. You look at what's going on in college football right now, especially, you know, we'll get into it later in the week for sure, but Georgia had such a quarterback quandary right now, and it, DeJuan Mathis did not look good, and they had it, to bring It's not in, clear what JT Daniels' status is, and they bring in uh, Stetson Bennett. and Former walk-on, and, like, he does, he ends up being the Looks better than Mathis. Right, in the second half. The fact that Auburn could lean on Bo Nix as this running game is going to be a work in progress, as this offensive line is going to be a work in progress. You cannot overstate how important he was for the game, and he looked really good. Um, there were a few times where he kind of fell back into some of the problems that he had last season, throwing off his back foot a little too much, uh, but even then, two of his best throws of the day came off his back foot. He had uh, There was one where he stepped in the park, pocket, had a guy wrapped around his knees and just threw a dart all yeah, that, I think Jordan Rogers almost lost his mind on that play. I mean, it was an impressive throw. Like I think we've seen Mahomes and a few other guys do stuff like that, or like where Russell Wilson, where basically they're getting thrown to the ground and they have enough strength and accuracy through the fall essentially to complete the pass. It's uh, I don't like what can you really yeah. complain about? Like because his game wasn't perfect. It, it no. was, uh, and I feel like the throw. To Seth, maybe it was the first touchdown where he threw it over the middle in the end zone. It's sort of getting forgotten about. It was a great catch, but obviously we're all talking about Seth mossing well, that defensive back in the end zone. But like that first, I think it was the first touchdown throw yeah, of the day. It was, was a another, beautiful throw and catch. Which was another good play about Seth, and it's it's, it's that trust factor that those two have in each other. It's in obvious. It's, it's 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 really really obvious. And on top of that. Bo, on that play, if you look at, like, the sky cam angle from that, from behind the quarterback on that throw, there's a linebacker, there's a corner, and he fits it in between those two at literally the point that he knows. Only Seth. Well, yeah, 99% of the receivers in, in college football can't make that catch. But he can because he went up really, really high in football pads, like dumped it, basically. And then he put it in the one point he had to put it, and, and, and you know, touchdown. The second one, more of a fade, I think my guy's better than your guy throw. Better athlete, bigger, better not hands. Not as good of a pass, but, like, get it up there, I trust you. It was a little bit embarrassing. Um, I was talking about someone talking about this play with someone, and you know everyone's giving that defensive back a hard time because him and Seth were going back and forth a lot. Yeah. And one of the things I said is, and I this has been – the way Seth has been since he got here. No one talks more bleep than Seth Williams, as far as I can tell on this team. And perhaps no one is better at backing it up. And like defensive backs have to have that mentality. And they were going back and forth all day. But man, what a demoralizing play. I mean, the picture is great. Yeah, one hand on his head and another just kind of easily brings that arm back and snags it with one hand. I mean, it was just borderline embarrassing yeah it was one of the most like disrespectful like plays i've ever seen on a football field 
not in terms of like disrespectful and be like Seth shouldn't have done that, but it was just like you don't deserve to be on the, on this field with me. Why do you even act like you're covering me? That please was that kind of attitude. Yeah, like please don't talk to me. You're not as good as me. Um, and Bo, and uh, uh, Seth had a really good quote of it after the game. He's like, you know, ever since I've been playing football, it's my thing. If the ball's in the air, it's mine. Like that's like that's his that's his mentality. Darius Slayton said he's the best 50-50 receiver in college football, and like it's going to be hard for anyone to argue with that. He put up an incredible game, and it wasn't perfect for him. He had a couple of bad, you know sequences i bet you know but you look at his game well, as i'm a sorry i want to pause you there who had some bad sequences yeah, so there, you know there might have been you know there might have been a couple of plays where you know he had a drop or he could have you know not as much not as much though like he more in the granular like some yeah. things that he could do to take his game to the next level yeah, but on the whole there's like he's a star he's a stud you know he he played so so well in that game and one of the things that stood out to me is that you saw the evolution. We knew he was a 50-50 just machine. We knew he was going to be so good in that. But, like, there were a couple of underneath routes he caught. Plays that weren't in the Gus, the Gus Malzahn playbook that the Chad Morris playbook has. There were a couple of deep crossers that they that they ran that they got him open. And I think Malzahn was more proud of him after the game for those plays than the touchdowns necessarily because there were some conversions and some big throws that they made where Seth ran some routes that he – probably hadn't done very often at least at Auburn and looked really good at it and like opened up some space for some other guys down the stretch because I know you know especially after you dunk on two guys people aren't quite as you know aren't quite as focused on Eli Stove or Anthony Schwartz and then Stove makes that last one and Schwartz best best pass of the day yeah beautiful timing Schwartz uh, sticks out for having the play where he almost scores may have scored that surprise I didn't review it but Auburn ends up punching him oh my god he's so good dude I mean I thought 300 pounds moving that way looked sexy but when I saw it on screen it was phenomenal can you believe it it was amazing to watch that man move no disrespect to Brandon Frazier no disrespect to, to John Samushanker, who who played you know a decent bit in that game, but like Pegues, he, was like, yeah. yeah, and he got uh, you know some love. It's hard not to notice yeah. someone moving like that. And boy, He's you on yeah, and you talked about. I don't know if we saw any of this yesterday. I don't remember it, but God, please incorporate it if you're listening, Chad. Like that RPO option where you basically move Pegues sort of drifting. I thought he was going to catch one, oh, at one point. I mean, what do you do once that guy gets going? Give him a few steps and like a you know three yards of space. That's that guy's picking up five yards on every play if he has a few steps. Uh, it, it, it is going to be fun to watch them use that. But they didn't use the tight ends a whole lot in this, in, in the passing game. Was there a tight end that had a reception? Yeah, a catch. Okay, had a short catch early. Um, but no, and, and the running backs didn't do it as well. It's another thing where you're kind of going to see probably some evolution there. In this game, it was very much Auburn had the matchups they wanted against Kentucky's receiver uh, against Kentucky's corners, and they were taking advantage of that. Bo was, I mean, this was very much a trust the guys that you got. Like you know, the fact that Auburn had three veteran receivers that they liked coming back, it was very obvious because those were, that's where the action was going. That's where he was fun on the ball too. Um, but even more so, I know people want Schwartz more involved in like. Well, he, he made a dent um, on that play. I just don't remember seeing his name or hearing his name called too much in that game yesterday. He had four catches uh, by the end of it. So uh, you want to see him more. You want to see him get open more. You want to see him, you know, do, do some more things where you're involved in him in the offense. Did but, they use him on any end rounds? I know they put him in motion, but I don't remember him taking carry, any. Still had a carry, but that was it. But that's the thing also. It's like wide receivers aren't going to run the ball in this offense. Like Chad Morris does not do that. Somebody asked me that in a mailbag a couple of weeks ago, and it was like, that was not, that's not part of their MO. 
Speaking of which, that, that Eli Stove touchdown catch at the end, <laughs> got to notice something. You want to talk about how much of a difference is the Gus Malzahn offense and the Chad Morris offense. That play they ran is not a Gus Malzahn play at all. That was a switch concept on the outside. They ran, the outside receiver ran kind of like a, Kind of like a, uh, kind of like a post route, and then the inside receiver kind of ran a wheel, uh, kind of a wheel off of it. You get your cornerback, you get basically get the defender switched up, whether in zone or in man. You get them. Do they have to up. make a decision on? Basically, it's like if you if the outside receiver goes inside and the inside goes re- receiver goes on the outside, like you have to have some really good chemistry and like know where you're going with the corners on the outside and the safeties and all that having to communicate. And lo and behold. Gave Stove plenty of space. And Stove said after the game, he was like, he was like that play, like we knew it was going to be wide open, and from the way they were playing, it was just we were waiting to bust it out in that one situation, and lo and behold, he gets wide open, and Bo, I mean, puts it like drops it in the bucket, like exactly where you want to go, and Eli had a really good game. Eli had a really good game, and he's a he is an effective player for Auburn. Well, so I asked the question, I think playing a bit of devil's advocate a few weeks back, like what makes you think Eli Stove is truly. a big part of this offense and yeah. not just a rotational piece. I, I guess some of that was answered yesterday yeah, in no, terms he, of his consistent he was, consistency. He was the number two receiver yesterday. Um, they want to get him involved and they kind of moved and mixed and matched with him. Um, and Bo, Bo trust him. And I think we're going to, if you can see Schwartz get a little bit more involved in the offense, or maybe just get some more balls thrown his way. But I, I think Schwartz and, Stove both caught every target they had. Speaking of Stove's comment about that being there, I think after the first touchdown that both threw to Seth, they panned over to him talking to Chad. And maybe I'm going galaxy brain here, but it looked like based on reading their lips that mm-hmm. Bo said something to the effect of that's been open all yeah. day. Yeah. And I don't know what he was referencing, but they, as you mentioned, it was obvious they found some matchups they liked throughout that For game. Sure. They really they really found some matchups and, and, and just executed the plays that they really liked. So Bo looking like that is a big sign for Auburn um, behind an offensive line that is new behind an offensive line that is going to be a work in progress, but with a running game that is that struggled to a degree. Um, being able to rely on those guys to just make plays. I said it in the I said it at halftime when Auburn was up by one. Um, you know, I said it I said it at the halftime, this feels like a game that Bo's gonna have to go win. Like he's going to have to go win it for him. And if you look at if you go look at uh, PPA from this game in the third and fourth quarter, Bo was the best player on the field in the third and fourth quarter for either offense. And like that made such a huge difference in the game. It was one in time and he he delivered and he delivered with some really good passes and uh, just managed the game very well in terms of the fact that he didn't force anything. He ran effectively when they when they needed. We had to. talked about that, you know, just the other day. I think that making that more of a threat and helping those running backs as they try to develop the run game, picking his spots, pretty obviously did that well on Saturday. Yeah, so I think uh, I think you you can really be pleased. I think Auburn fans with the progression you saw from the passing game, it can get better. Um, Which should make you more excited. Like, this is just, in theory, the beginning. Kentucky is also a defense that doesn't give up big plays. So the fact that you were able to hit a few big ones against them, I think that's what Malzahn was really, really uh, proud about in that one. Um, So that was, I think, one of the positive sides of the offense, right? Like, there was some real progression, it seemed like, in both Bo's play. um, The passing game was exciting. There was a lot of consistency from those three players. Seth, to me, looks like very much could be a round one pick if he continues to play like that. Yeah, for sure. Um, To talk about something that was more of a negative in the game, 
I got a tweet yesterday, and I was told I had to read this in the podcast. <laughs> source, so we got it. Our buddy Bryce says, the rushing numbers are ungood. Feel free to use this analysis on the podcast. Uh, yeah, it was not a good game for Auburn's run, run, rushing attack. Less than 100 yards in the game, I feel like, is a little bit of a misnomer. There were some there were some botch plays. Um, you know, some... some uh, yeah, there were there was some. There was at least there was a fumbled snap that resulted in a few yard loss. Few needles, yeah. There was a sack. Um, if you do that, there's a little, there's a little bit of a like. They're a little bit above four yards per carry, which is okay. It's not good. It's not great. Well, it goes it's back okay. to yeah. It's like when they play Georgia this week, it makes you a little bit concerned about being one dimensional against a better defense. And, but and the problem in that game is if you look at line yards, there weren't very many of them for Auburn. Like. A lot of it had to be the running backs make, doing the work on, on those plays. Uh, Sean Chiver. How quickly were they getting touch? Pretty quickly, like or, like they were having to make some impact pretty pretty quickly down the field. Now we will talk about in when we talk about the defense why that ended up not being that big of a deal. But for Auburn's own offense, Sean Shivers look. Sean Shivers looked good that first half. He averaged over five yards a carry. Uh, he only got one touch in the second half because they were working tank. And yeah, true to what they said about rotating, I was a little surprised they didn't stick with Shivers more. But it, like they, I guess, were not messing around when they said they were going to use four backs. Shivers got the juice. Like you can see it when he can make things happen. There was one of his best runs of the day was a play where Auburn ran some gap stuff and the the pulling guards kind of got tripped up on himself, and so he had to kind of kick it out a little bit wider and really get contact at the line of scrimmage and still make you break some tackles and make some plays. He looked really good. I think he showed you why he's the number one guy on this team. DJ Williams, a rough day for him, but he also there were there were a couple opportunities where he did the things that he needed to do. Um, I Tank's think, the most excited I got about Tank was on the kickoff return. Right, exactly. <laughs> so Tank did some of the stuff. I think Tank did some of the stuff that, that Sean did, just not quite to to the degree. Um, well, it's his first game, like, you know. Yeah. And I think the other thing on top of that is that Bo ran the ball well. The second play of the game, Bo, you know, tucks it and, and, and goes and just, you know, converts on, I think it was a second and ten, and moves the chains there. Really good um, running from him. And it's it's the problem there is that the offensive line is it's it's a work in progress. Uh, you can't really point out, I mean, I'll, I'll go and, and finish rewatching the game at some point, you can't really point out like one offensive lineman that did so much better than everybody else in terms of run blocking. I will say pass protecting, they did. They, that was a solid game for a bunch of newcomers. Um, you know, I think I think Kentucky was only credited with like three or four hurries in the game, which when you drop back to 20, 30, like low 30 times, that's not bad at all. Only one sack. Um you know, I just I I thought in that area they did fine. It was just a matter of I think we've seen how this played out the last two years. They've got to be able to run the football. And and here's my thing. I you you should feel a little bit better about them coming out of this game than maybe you would think. And here's why. Last year when they weren't able to run the ball, it was like, okay, these are five seniors, four seniors basically that are that are that are running up front. You've got to be able to run the ball. This year, I mean, they were rotating. Alec Jackson had a rough game. He had a couple penalties, and there were and it, 
the left side of the offensive line had its bigger struggles in the in the pass protection. Well, we and, and kind of ex- we kind of expected that, given yeah, the they, fact that we knew that tackle spot was the biggest question. They seemed mark. to protect a little bit better when Troxel was in the game. Well, that was something you know good for Jackson. By the way, getting the nod there, I was wrong about that. I I had said I thought if it came down to a coin toss, as it looked like it would, that Troxel would get that. And and I don't think that you could be surprised by that either, right? Like no. given the uncertainty at the spot all fall camp. Rotated the guards. Manning gets to start at left guard. Council at right guard. But I think when Auburn looked like they were at its best is when Keandre Jones was in the game at right guard. Brandon Council kicks over to left guard. Ham and Brahms are there. Like those are your those are your. Same Maybe you I thought I thought I thought Ham. There were a couple of plays where you know the snaps you're gonna have to worry about a little bit. You know you got to get better at that because that was such a thing that drew the ire. I thought Brahms managed the game well at, at the center spot. Right tackle though. Ham buried some dudes in pass protection. Now, it's there. There wasn't a whole lot in, run, in the run game for anybody. But here's my thing about the run game. When you're rotating guys and trying to figure something out at, at, at running back, so much about being a really good run blocking team, especially if you're going to do a lot of zone stuff, is about continuity and about chemistry and about like knowing who's beside each other. And it's that, like, all right, here, do I pull off of a double team now? Do I get to the second level now? Do I need to stay back here? You know, it's that, it's that camaraderie that you kind of get. Auburn has not had the same offensive line at all throughout these last six weeks because of absences due to COVID, due to injuries and stuff like that. So, yeah, given that it's already a difficult position to start out with, and you see the unit usually struggle, rotation, right? Like, that's where it's going to be at. You can pass protect. Pass protect is like, hey, get up, get back here, and don't get beat. Run blocking, it takes more cooperation. And I can see Auburn fans fear and think it's justifiable after watching the last two years, but I do think like you can't take the last two years and just say, well, this this offensive line can't run block it. It's like, well, maybe it won't be a good run blocking team by the end of the season, but I don't think you can just look at the past two years and think that's going to be the case yet. I I'll think individually, this. I think that's a, there are a lot of athletic good linemen on that, that unit. Yeah, it's just going to be a time of like, can they find their best five? And Malzahn said after the game, this game is going to be big for evaluating and see like maybe next week it is Troxel and Keandre Jones in the game like it, they might continue rotating I wonder, yeah I wonder how they much rotation they'll do they in the Georgia game they gotta find that five and lock them in and, and be ready to go because but, it seems like you could also rotate in Arkansas just given like Arkansas is gonna be terrible but I, I wonder how much rotation that they will want to do in the Georgia game right so we'll, we'll see from we'll see on that, that aspect but I, I think I'll, I'll say this if you're worried about the offensive line this is a brand new offensive line this is pretty much a brand new running game and they didn't look that much worse than they did last season. So, if you want to hold on, you know, glass half full, you want to take more optimistic lean there. Yeah, ideally, this would be the floor. Yes. And you're just going to continue to but see progress. Team in Kentucky that, like, I think Malzahn said it, they had the experience advantage on the offensive line and the defensive line. In the trenches, they were more experienced. And again, like we said, Auburn played the cleaner game. Uh, you know, Kentucky, I mean, Kentucky got called for a couple of really, like, Bad holding calls that 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 killed some of. Plus the time. defensive back who uh, shoved. Who did he shove? No, what in the got, world? The guy who got dunked on. You know, <laughs> yeah. And it was part of the reason I think Seth did his thing. You know, on that on that on that last touchdown. So <laughs> offensive line, they got to find that five. It's going to be a work in progress. But if they can get closer to it from evaluating this film, I think there's some bright spots there. But it's 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 going to be it's going to be a process. And the good thing about it is for Auburn though is that it's what we said about this offense. Other than Seth Williams, I'm sorry guys, like Seth Williams is not gonna be here next year. <laughs> like the way he played the way he played yesterday, I think is pretty good for for that. But like you're gonna bring pretty much everybody back next season. So like don't feel like this is the this is they're far from a finished product. And I'm getting a little ahead of myself here, but if Auburn can just find a way to beat a Georgia team that it has struggled immensely against in the last yeah. decade and a half, then it gets, I think, a little bit of time and it's scheduled to iron this out. It just 
God, if they can get a win and go 2-0 and against a Georgia team that also had its own offensive problems, you're, you're looking, I think, at, at a good timetable for watching the, the offensive line progress. Like, I understand why you're concerned, but I do think right now we're still in wait-and-see mode because there were some moments. There were some moments where I think you can feel like, all right, that was competent play, even though, yes, the rushing numbers leave you underwhelmed. Going back to the receivers real quick, Kalen Newton getting in a good bit. Didn't see Shadrick Jackson. Wonder if that Are you surprised like, by that? Yeah, it might be an injury or something like that. Maybe something sure. know, tweak. That'll be a that'll be a question to ask uh, here pretty pretty soon. But Kalen Newton kind of taking that blocking role. He looked really good. Yeah, that's one of the things we've heard about him is dude loves contact. You know, even right. if he doesn't have the ball in his hands, that guy wants to be a part of the play. Uh, and then Xavier Capers getting involved. How about that? Yeah, really you said he had had a good fall camp. He had a big catch in the game. That was well catch. done for him. Big catch for him. And so I think you might start to see a little bit more of those guys funnel in as Auburn gets more confident with that offense moving forward. Uh, Painter, before we head on over to talk about our good friends on the defensive side for Auburn and Kevin Steele and just that turnaround that they had in that game, Let's first talk about our friends at homefieldapparel.com. Homefield. Homefield. Big day yesterday. They, they released Missouri. Um, I, you know, covering the game from home yesterday, uh, I had to support my favorite team. I had the homefield shirt on. We were ready to go. <laughs> I got a homefield shirt on right now. We're, shout out to the University of Hawaii. God, that is a clean-looking shirt, yeah. might I add. It's, it's, my, it's my new favorite shirt by far. Is that, does that, like, strike you as the 80s or the 90s? When does that sort of flavor? It's very 90s. Early okay. 90s, I think, is what I look at when I think of the Hawaii rainbow. Maybe you want a Hawaii rainbows shirt. They are very nice. They're all nice. Um, you can check out uh, you can check out homefieldapparel.com, premium vintage Collegiate apparel, softest t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies that you are going to find anywhere. Trust me. Uh, and they've got Auburn ones. Um, or don't trust them. Just get it for yourself. Whatever. Yeah, yeah just, get, just get it. You I don't have to trust him. You just need to put it on your body. Just put it on your body. Uh, some really good shirts. Uh, you know, a lot of Auburn fans were repping them yesterday. I saw on online, and, you know, uh, I think I even spotted a couple of, like, students wearing, wearing some. Um, people around town. Uh, on Saturday, but yeah, you got the you got the Auburn, you got Albie like me and Albie with some shoulder pads on. If you're getting ready for basketball season, you got the dunking Albie uh, with the sailor hat, which is always good. You got <laughs> painters Albie, uh, if you My want hoodie for that. It's gonna get cooler this week. That's right. In here, it's gonna feel like fall in this in this place. So we got that. Got a couple others as well. Um, some some more Albie stuff, including one where he is it's like it's like a monochrome design he's like leaning on an a it's very very classic very very vintage you know um something that i had never seen before until you know home field dug it up because they're they're uh they're really good they're really good at what they do and digging up these old logos uh cliff would have worn that shirt i think oh yeah for sure sweet for cliff sure. so any uh any auburn uh, apparel you want to get there at home field like i said t-shirts sweaters hoodies the most comfortable ones you will own the coolest logos you will find homefieldapparel.com you can check it out. Your first order, you can get 20% off of it by using the promo code OBSERVER. Type in the promo code OBSERVER. Also, they have free shipping for any order over $50, so stock up. Hey, we're getting close to Christmas. Maybe you want something for yourself. Maybe you got family and friends that want some gear. Some people you yeah. care about. Why, why not get free shipping, get uh, get something for yourself and your loved ones? Yeah. It's, been a, it's been a long year. You deserve uh, you deserve uh, to, to treat yourself. If treat you want, yourself. If you, want a little, if you want a little Auburn gear or any small school or otherwise that you're a fan of, you can check them out. They have a ton of really cool stuff. Does Hawaii count as a small school? What's the population size of Hawaii? Not, not, not the, the, not the, the I would school. Say, I would consider them a solid mid-major. Okay. Yeah. 10-4. We call them a mid-major. But yeah, Hawaii, any school that you care about, including, of course, Auburn, 
That's promo code OBSERVER for 20% off at homefieldapparel.com. All right, we're going to swap over to the Auburn defense. And um, first drive didn't go well for Auburn. First time I said, oh, Kevin Steele, I need you to answer, baby. And he said, don't worry, I've got you. Yeah, uh, they were moving the ball. They ran the ball a decent bit. You know, Kentucky, that was their strength. This was an offensive line that was really, really strong. This was a defensive line also for Auburn that was undermanned to an extent. They kept Ryan barely played, if he played at all, in the first what half. What a bummer for, you know, to, to get a shot. He gets on the field in the second half. They Look, needed him, especially after uh, especially after the Derek Hall ejection. The, the, first, uh, the first drive, I was a little bit concerned. And then from there, Auburn mostly uh, did its thing. The other thing that I was worried about was not getting off the field on third down. But, that, again, that got corrected eventually. They were punishing, Kentucky was, the first quarter and a half. And they were putting themselves in good spots, right? Like picking up a lot of yards on first and second down, making third down hard on Auburn. I think that was the thing for, for Auburn that they really needed to do. Like they were getting challenged up front. And uh, in a game where Kentucky had the advantage in the trenches, they had to dig deep and, and see, see what they were made of. And, man, in the second half, they got it. Early in the game, the linebackers, there were some assignments. You know, there guys kind of looked like they were maybe getting out of alignment a little too much or, you know, uh, over-pursuing or just – I think I think straight up a lot of times Kentucky calling really good plays at the right time. Eddie they, Grant you know, was dialing it up in the first half. Secondary, you know, also had had a couple busts and they had to kind of work their way through it. Those halftime adjustments though were real because Auburn comes out in the second half after giving up eight to ten on third downs early in the game. It's four nine in the second half, and the big thing on that one is they pitched two, uh, they pitched back to back three and outs to open the second half. Um, yeah, between that was, that was a big difference between right? the way the end of the half went. Mm-hmm. And the way the Auburn started it, I think in that five-minute game time stretch, they won that game. Well, they continued to prove why this defense is as good as they are, and it's they create havoc. I think two – I wrote about it in the observations. There are two things to keep about this defense. This is not the same defense as the pass for Auburn. You, there's no more Derrick Brown. There's no more Marlon Davidson. They're, it's gonna, they, they don't have those elite, elite players right now on the defensive line. Could some guys develop in there? I think there's a couple of them that really – there's one especially that I'm really high on after this game. It's a different team. It's a different type of defense. But here's two things that still remain. One, they're going to adjust better than anybody you'll probably see defensively. That's been a hallmark of this team for a while, uh, especially under Kevin Steele. And number two, they're going to create havoc. They get an opportunity – you want to call it a gift, whatever – on the call where they were short. Remember, it's second down. They stop Terry Wilson up the middle. Third down, they try to run a play, pick it off. Roger McCreary, right place, right time. Makes a good makes a good read, makes a good jump, gets it. Houses it. Houses it. Derek Hall, it's a blindside block. And like I, I'm not here to I'm not here to say it was a good call or a bad call. I know like it's a call that I think that's gonna be made a lot of times just because of the protecting of players. I think it is technically true, but I understand the resentment of the call. Also, Derek Hall, I tweeted yesterday, literally the last possible moment he could get and, and Yeah, like, not gonna I, miss the Georgia game. Yeah, like he Literally the um, the least amount of time you can miss with an ejection for targeting, he got it. Yeah, I guess if this were like if we had the Saints that did Bounty Gate, like that would be the strategy for them is to just like absolutely ream the player that is most like most valuable to the other team with seven seconds to go in the half. Um, I'm with you. Like that's a tough break for Auburn. And if I'm Gus, and I think he did this on some level, like really, you know, 
thought for his players, especially because that sucks for Derek to get tossed out of the game and what I don't think was at all a, a, a hit that was intended to be malicious. But, like, in my head, I was like, if I'm Gus right there, I'm just taking a 15-yard penalty. And he didn't do that, but he did let the ref hear about it. Very feisty interview with Cole Pubel, like, at, at, at halftime. I imagine both coaches were not happy going into the locker room with the way the officiating went, uh, given that Stoops probably felt like they had seven points taken off the board and Gus Malzahn felt the same. Here's a stat that makes a huge difference in this game. It tells you how well Auburn adjusted to that running game because Kentucky's offensive line is going to be one of the best they face all season. I think it's going to be them or Alabama. Uh, by the way, Georgia's offense line did not look good uh, yesterday against Arkansas by any degree. Here's a here's a um, tweet from our, our friends at SEC StatCat. He said, Kentucky's big blue wall generated 2.51 rushing yards before contact against Auburn on a per-snap basis on design runs. Would have been fifth in the SEC last year. However, if you take out Cavassier Smoke's 35-yard touchdown run, that figure drops to 1.34. So take away one busted play, and consistently in that game, they were getting very little push. One up front. And let me tell you who won up front specifically. With Big Cat Bryant, not 100%, obviously. With Derek Hall out. With TD Moultrie, had some had some penalties. They were having to rotate guys in. Jaron Handy got in. Caleb Johnson got in the game as well on the edges. The tackles in the first game without Derek Brown had to step up. And boy, did they. Daquan Newkirk, two tackles for loss, looked really, really good, played early. Um, I mean, like I tweeted yesterday, he's one of the most athletic defensive linemen Auburn's had in a while, and he benched more than Derrick Brown. His arms are like the size of my thighs. They're massive. He's got cannons. Also, Tyrone Truesdale. If Auburn's making a play, he's in there. That one where they almost had a safety, you know, it kind of looked like a safety. It kind of looked like a safety. Refs are having a hard time with the goal line uh, decisions. Tyrone Truesdale played that Dontavious Russell real well of just, I'm going to dominate. Eat space, baby. And, like, and string people out. He did that. But the one I want to talk about, because I thought, man, he looked really, really good. And I think he ended up having more snaps than anybody else on the defensive line is, is Colby Wooden. Colby Wooden looked really good. And, like, that was a guy who was disruptive. They were moving him around. He got into the backfield. Auburn's pass rush wasn't great, but they affected Terry Wilson. They forced him into some bad throws. They forced him into some mistakes. Which was enough in this game, and based on the way Georgia was playing this weekend, that might be enough. It was a war of attrition. <laughs> Early in the game, the experienced offensive line for Kentucky was winning. And then I would say – Late second quarter and in the entire second half, Auburn took that game. Yeah, we talked about that. It was my opinion, even given the general talent of both offensive and defensive lines and and the edge that I think that they had in this game at both of those positions. I think by the end of the year, you're looking at Auburn defensive line. I don't know if we'll say the same thing about uh, that offensive line being better than Auburn's defensive line group. Again, I think you're right. Cole Kublik echoed a similar sentiment by basically saying, with probably the exception of a few Alabama linemen, like we know Kentucky has some of the best linemen and definitely the best center in the conference. But by the end of the year, as you see, the, I mean, we saw it as the game went on. Auburn's defensive line was able to – would you say they won that, I mean, head-to-head? Like, oh, yeah, they won, especially uh, in the second half. Yeah, I, w- I would say the first half. Look, Kentucky had, like, Terry Wilson threw the ball 37 times in that game because it, it came to a point where they were It was not clear able- they could not move the ball on the ground. And, Which and, is insane. And, like, you know, at the beginning of the game, again, like we said earlier, it was third and short constantly. Well, that stopped happening, and then when they forced Terry Wilson to throw, we discussed this earlier, it's like, yeah, I, I don't believe he's going to be capable of moving the ball against Auburn through the air. It goes back to the film room last week. The film room I had last week, that was going to be the matchup. Are you going to be, <laughs> be one-dimensional against 
Kevin Steele. And lo and behold, they they did well. Part of that also comes down to the linebackers. KJ Britt looked good. Like KJ Britt had 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 a really good game. He he laid some dad young licks uh, in the hole. Even on some plays that were successful for Kentucky, he was cutting them out quick. Um, Owen Popo looked really good in terms of a guy that can do everything that you want. He had a ton. I think he had. I think he ended up having like eight solo tackles. So hitting guys in space was his forte, and he did it really well. So Kogan McLean. We also pointed this out. I was talking to was talking to I believe. I think it was yeah. It was when I was talking to Josh Vitale last night. I was pointing out the fact that uh, both McLean and Popo look faster with those single digit numbers. You know, you just look like a faster right, player, right. and like I think speed wise, they can't. They brought it. They brought it in a game, and they had to make some plays in space because Kentucky just they weren't going to hit them downfield. That was not going to be the play. There were a couple of busts in coverage where guys were able to get open, but like for the most part, they were trying to hit quick passes and run underneath, and it. It required a lot of strong tackling, and Auburn brought that. Like they got that in, in, in a in a in a huge degree, and that was the difference in the ball game. The linebackers got manipulated and put out a spot early. Eddie Graham was was trying to make the most of them, and I think it goes back to what we heard after the game from KJ Britt and those guys. Uh, what happened at halftime? He said, "We just simplified what we were doing. We simplified our um, we simplified our scheme." We figured out their t- tendencies. We got their assignments, and we just took it to them. And I think that I think that was it. That was the evident the most at the linebacker spot because the linebackers played really really well in the second half. To the secondary, um, again a couple of bust. There were a couple of plays where you can like smoke Monday. You know had had a hard time. Uh, some of the younger corners had had a harder time. Were you surprised by that? No, I mean. It wasn't like they were getting torn up, you know, through the air. It's just, you know, Kentucky hit a few big plays through the air, and almost all of them, it was because Auburn wasn't quite exactly what they were going to do. And people will point out the fact that Tut had a couple of had a couple of passes against him, but I also will I'll also point out the fact that Tut had some huge plays early and was hitting the ball well uh, at the beginning or hitting the ball carrier well in the beginning, especially. But. I don't want to do this. I don't want to have a victory lap because I think, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think there's enough, like, I don't think that I had enough pushback on this, you know, whatsoever. Uh, Roger McCreary, that is a, that is an NFL cornerback. I do not care what you have to, what you have to say to the contrary. This is a stat and I'm pretty sure I'm going to, uh, this, this is secret. So keep it between us. Um, don't go, don't go out and, and, and play, play this a lot. There's a stat that I saw. Uh, kind of clicking through some of the premium stuff at Pro Football Focus. Roger McCreary gave up one catch when was only targeted three times yesterday. That one catch went for two yards. He had yards per attempt against him were less than one. His coverage is off the charts. He will make All-American, All-SEC teams this week, probably from those guys, because his numbers were absurd. He tackled well as well and landed on a fumble. You know, and then that, that 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 kind of play, you kind of make the difference being the right place at the right time. Whether it's Popo, on yeah, some of it's good fortune. McCreary making that interception, of course, going the distance on that. Um, Sheds a nice uh, tackle there and stays in bounds. Tie ropes the sideline. Does a really good job there. And then uh, Jamie Sherwood uh, played a lot, uh, and Jamie Sherwood had a really good play where Terry Wilson. Decides to spin and and knee knee the ball out of his own hand, um, but why does he do it? 
because McCurry just had him dead to rights on that on that edge. Third down play, big third down play, and it's like, oh, here goes the ball. Sherwood lands on it. He looked really good. Like he's a he he had a he had a really strong game as well. That secondary, um, I think the guys we knew were going to be stars back there were stars. And like shout out to some of the younger guys like like Jalen Simpson, like Nehemiah Pritchett, like uh, you know uh, a guy like he's not young, but Jordan Peters having to get in the game a decent bit. Um, they played well. They played well. And then you you top top on the fact that Zion Pocket and Christian Tut. Also got on the field a, a decent bit as well, obviously. Auburn didn't use quite as much nickel in this game because Kentucky was running it. Um, trying to. Trying to, at least. So, I th- the secondary played well. I mean, people will point out to the fact that Kentucky hit some big plays and this was a better game for, for Wilson through the air than he usually is. But, it like, most all of his damage came on a few big plays where Auburn's just going to have to tighten some stuff up there. I. Front to back, though, that defense, they adjusted really, really well. They gave up 13 points. 13 points. And, like, yeah, you might say, oh, they could have given up more. They probably should have given up another touchdown or whatever. But, like, yeah, they could have scored a touchdown as well. Like, you could make that argument just as easily. Um, I mean, they had some really good fourth down stops as well. Like, they, they played they played, a, they played an excellent game. And um, I guess early basically on, early on people were like, Oh wow, it's gonna be a long year for the Auburn defense. You know, overreaction is prime. What you do in the first half, but like, no more Derek Brown and Marlon Davidson. Rodney Garner stopped recruiting after those two players graduated. And then, like late in the second quarter, I think that 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 goal line stand, and then that interception, and then that second half. I mean, they were able to come. I said it yesterday when uh, I was on after the game with with Zach and and Dan. I think if you're like if I mean Painter, you played you, you played sports, and I think you know, anybody who's, who has it like when you go into a halftime locker room, coming off of something positive, whether it's you know, if you close a half well, uh, and for Auburn's defense, they had a little bit of that like they had a goal line stand, they had a touchdown, they had the anger that they felt like they should have gotten a pick six out of that. That should have been that should have been six for them. You go into that locker room, and when those guys start making adjustments. These guys are prof- they're as professional as you can be without getting paid. Whoops. Um, but Kevin, those guys, those guys know the system and they know what they need to do. They're going to do their job. But there's also something to me that's like psychologically, you're going to get a bump when you go into a, ha- a halftime locker room feeling good about what you just did. And I think that fed into what the defense did. They just they were like, all right, we hey, we weathered the storm early. We show we can stop them. We just made a huge play. All right, how are we going to shut it? It was down? not totally unlike the Oregon game, in which yep. the first quarter and a half that you're yep. going, God, this defense looks like it was not where I thought it would be. And then it's like, oh, okay, there it is. It took a minute. They figured it out. Uh, exactly. This defense gave up 13 points. And like you said, outside of a couple of big plays early in the game, it wasn't a whole lot for Kentucky to feel real positive about, um, certainly not on a consistent basis. Like, you can point to individual things and say, well, had this gone that way, had, fine, it didn't go that way. And Auburn, essentially, for the last two and a half quarters, looked significantly better than that Kentucky offense. On a per-play basis, Auburn was more efficient, Auburn was more explosive, and Auburn was more dominant at the line of scrimmage, on, you know, especially on the defense side of the ball, uh, for them in that game. They took advantage. Like, they, they made... They they were the better team, and I don't care what the final stats say in terms of yards. Let's have a little context. Let's be a little bit smarter when we talk about talk about. It. And again, this is not all our fans. It's, the, it's certain people who are upset about you know the way the the way the Kentucky, maybe some Kentucky fans, maybe one particular Kentucky fan that has an outsized reach because he works for <laughs> Fox. Just a complete random thing, but. Um, 
No, Auburn was the better team in that game. Kentucky could feel like they got shafted on a couple of calls, and it could have been a closer game. But in the end, they didn't play a clean game. Also, this is pretty macro and definitely uh, pretty reactionary, given that we have exactly one game in terms of sample size. But I will say this. In terms of the dark horse talk of Tennessee, Kentucky, right now I'm hammering Kentucky. Yeah. If you're gonna yeah. if you're gonna peel off from what I think is the reasonable take of Georgia or Florida winning the East, know, I'm taking Kentucky over Tennessee. I right know now. Kentucky fans are gonna be upset if they didn't win this game. They felt like they kind of got screwed on a couple things. I, I get that, and I 100 percent get that. The call at halftime would suck. If you were a Kentucky fan, that would be a really yeah, crappy way to end the half. Yeah. We'd be talking about it a ton right now for sure. I will say this. Miles on set after game. They're going to win a lot of games. I kind of agree looking at the SEC East. I mean, Florida looks really good. I think Georgia is beatable um, if they play the way they did. Yeah, right now it might depend on when you catch Georgia. Like, maybe they figure their quarterback situation out halfway through the season and it's fine because the team is so talented. But, yeah, if you're catching Georgia in the first half of the season, oh, God, they're going to be awful. Yeah. Uh, Nothing in that Tennessee-South Carolina game made me think that, you know, that was going to be a – you know, two great teams at this point, but it's early. So, like, I, I feel like Kentucky, this is going to go down as a quality win that's going to stick for Auburn for a while. Like, it, it's going to be a game that sticks, and I think Auburn should take great pride in. Here's the things Kentucky wanted to do well, and they did not do it uh, at nearly as a highly enough rate, and it's because the your young that, guys and your new guys stepped up on both sides of the ball. Yeah, the things that they did do well, Auburn was able to eventually counter with. And, you know, like we've talked about, uh, pretty heavily here for the last 20 minutes. They made really great adjustments on both sides of the ball. Special teams. Let's um, let's uh, let's, let's, let's interesting let's conversation. We've yeah. got a uh, we've got a punter battle. Yeah, and by the way, I think I, I know what you're getting at here. Bo Nix looks pretty great because that seems like a like a real you know, game within the game because like you know you just take away their option to have a returner back there, or it's like you want to put a returner back there and play down a man. Okay, we'll play ball. The second quick kick. And I know it, they downed it to the one at Auburn was able to take advantage off of that and, and really dominate field position because of it. But the second one, Kentucky was not even thinking about the receivers. And there was a hesitation. And, man, if Bo would have pulled back, pulled back and thrown it, it's a touchdown. It's an easy touchdown. It's an easy touchdown. So, like, that's going to happen at some point. I think they might have been a little bit afraid that the receivers weren't looking. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so. But I can see Auburn getting a big chunk play or a touchdown out of that formation at some point this year. And he's good at it. Like, he's good at that little quick kick. He did it in high school, and that's a that's a weapon that he's got. Um, well, and given where you're usually punting that, like, you're just hoping to hit it, what, 30 yards and yeah. then let it roll. So Chapman and Marshall both look good in there with their punts. Like, they were just solid. Um, Max. Duffy hit the absolute fire out of a ball at one point. Yeah, what he used a seventy-five yard punt. And then Auburn scored on that possession. So like it was you ended up making up that difference. Uh boy, that fire in the return game. I thought Sean Chires had a couple too. had a couple of had a couple of really good uh returns where he looked he looked like he was ready to roll. Uh Tank Bigsby had a good one like as as you mentioned there. Um you know, Auburn didn't have to turn to uh Andres Carlson in this game. However, Swinging gate, Batman is back. It worked, and kind of caught me by surprise. Like I wouldn't, I was not expecting it to happen. But it's again, much like the quick kick, Auburn special teams taking a step up. It's something to think about. It's a game within a game kind of thing that is going to keep people in mind. And and the only the only you know, the qualms I have about this whole thing for Auburn is that they went for two at the weirdest possible time. My brother was telling me this yesterday. They went for two at the weirdest possible time, and then they didn't go for two at any of the other times that would have made sense. Trying to steal a possession, trying to go. They stuck to it and just kicked Just it took the their point advantage, yeah. But they could have gone out by two scores earlier. They could have gone out by three scores at the end if they had at least tried it. And 
I get it. You kick the extra point because then you force Kentucky into a situation like they were where they had to go for two. So it ended up working out for you. But I would have loved to see some boldness there uh, from, from Auburn. Well, on that. And that swinging gate, Batman, whatever we're calling it, like it is one that I almost have begun to roll my eyes out, roll my eyes at when they bring that out. It's like, God, you're not actually going to do it. What are you doing? And they did. And uh, it's like, all right word like the fact that you're willing to actually use it means that other people will now have to pay attention to that yeah so i i was kind of just relieved to see them use it because normally when they do that i can't help but roll my and eyes you've got a real quarterback back there holder it helps with, right with, with lloyd doing it so i think that that's well be. done well done um they they played their part so it was a good special teams game for them especially and i and i i'm interested to see the the what comes out, out of the bonex quick kick formation i'm interested to see just the differences between Chapman and Marshall moving forward, and also just some some two is Auburn going to be bolder with you know going for two, trying to trying some things to to, to line it up and please uh, keep going for it on fourth down. Yeah, that's got to be that's going to be another piece of it as well, and then we'll see how the return game shapes up, and then of course Andres Carlson had a pretty easy day, so you, uh, you'll take that. I felt good about the punting. Like, isn't that the biggest question mark right now? They're just given solid punts with no returns. Yeah, I mean, given that uh, you got a they dominated field position in this game. Yeah, given that you got a boost from what Bo did, I think uh, if that's how it's going to be the rest of the season, Auburn fans can be pretty pleased with that. Uh, Not saying it will be, but final thoughts on this Auburn Kentucky game. I think we can't go any further without mentioning the Pat Dye. Tribute from Gus Malzahn, the Auburn nod in, in general. Good look for him. It looks like that fits him. Like it, he did not look out of place wearing the short sleeve shirt with the tie. I was a fan of it. I know some people weren't, uh, but I liked it. That looked good. Yeah, I I was a fan of the uh, the nod to die, and yeah, because of Gus's personality, I think him wearing a SSBD with a short sleeve button down for you all out there uh, mm-hmm. with a tie looked pretty pretty good for for Gus. So not sure if he'll ever do it again, but. I was a fan, and you know it was a classy move. Yeah, and also they did the whole thing with the, with the paint on the the painted logo on the field, the sixty minutes, and it get, came into something because sixty minutes became kind of a rallying cry for the team heading into this game, and I think it's going to be something they do moving forward. As part of what I wrote again in the observations, Auburn won that game because they played sixty minutes of clean football. Kentucky played thirty or forty. Minutes of pretty good football. A good first half with some flashes occasionally in the second, but Auburn played 60 minutes. It wasn't perfect, but they played clean football, and it was different. And that was it's it's it was their rallying cry this year that that they are going to play 60 minutes because that's how that's what's going to be the identity of this team. They're going to have to make their big plays through the air. It's going to be a grinded out affair up front on the offensive line. They know they don't have the 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 world eaters anymore up front on the defensive line, but they got some really really good players. They've got some incredible linebackers. Their secondary looks like they're only going to get better from here. Um, after what was a really good game from them, I thought in game one, and they've got this identity. It's like I don't think Auburn is going to necessarily be a team that puts up a ton of style points against great teams this year. But man, look at what happened yesterday in college football. Texas needed a miracle to avoid a Texas Tech team that down, almost lost to Houston Baptist. They were down two touchdowns with three minutes to go. Oklahoma, get them out of my sight forever. Losing to Kansas that, State. Go ahead. And our, a Kansas State team that had lost to Arkansas State and a Kansas State team that has been more adversely affected by COVID absences than any other Division One team, in, or at least in FBS. Get them out of my sight. You can't play defense. LSU. Obvious. We have to set, talk about that. Set 
on fire. Nine rushing yards for Mississippi State. Yeah, you don't have to do it. But I mean, they'd had 600 passing yards. And you can't even point to the fact, it's like, oh, it's the air raid. It's like, here's a guy in KJ Costello who wasn't even a great quarterback at Stanford. This is the fit for him. He takes an LSU team on that has so many new players, and especially without yeah, no Stingley, no Stingley, but that like, sucks. Yeah, <laughs> Stingley, like they still get they still get beat probably without. Oh, uh, you shouldn't give up six hundred yards of passing offense, uh, regardless. It just doesn't matter. And like also, just because Stingley is the best corner in the country, but also like there's a bunch of talented other dudes there. They should not have given up six hundred passing yards. They gave up six. 123 passing yards to KJ Costello. The thing with Costello is that he wasn't even that great of a quarterback at Stanford, but he comes in and like it's the system and it works off the bat. And like LSU is vulnerable, especially with no Stingley on the defensive end. It's a team that had to work a lot of those kinks out. And Auburn, there was one. It was one of only three rank versus rank games yesterday in college football, and Auburn won by 16. Like that's that's a good quality win that's a good and again if we think that kentucky is going to be as good of a team as they are this year georgia struggles early they figured it out in the second half and they ended up moving past arkansas alabama looked good in the first half i think they kind of just cooled the jets in the in the second half a little bit but it's a good like they're good i think i i think what we thought heading into the season is alabama clemson and when ohio state gets to join the fray they're going to be the class of, of college football florida Puts up a ton of yards through through the air. Kyle Ole Pitt. Miss put up thirty five on the Gators. Yeah, that defense from from Florida was had to had to really go through it a little bit in that game. So the fact that Auburn played a balanced game and again not a style points game, but like this year it might as weird as this year might be, it, they might end up working out. Now they've still got to be able to be more balanced on offense. They got to be a little more explosive on offense. That's the goal. But this is a great foundation. And I, I'll say this better: it felt like that team had got an identity yesterday. It had, a, it had an edge to it. There was not what I felt like a lack of confidence. And, you know, that's not something that you can really judge watching on television. Like, I'm not there. I don't know. But to me, there was never a real sense of panic when Kentucky ran the ball down Auburn's throat or, or when there were some mishaps on offense in the first quarter and a half, whatever. It, to me, felt like a team that, given how odd this offseason was, felt really good about what it was trying they to do. Confident. They were confident. And I'll, and I'll say this. That seemed like that game, especially from some of the tweets the players had after the game, that game felt like it was really chippy. I know Daquan Newkirk was tweeting, like, it was like, who, like, did y'all think y'all were going to dominate us? Like, I think there was a lot of, like, bad blood between that line because Kentucky's offensive line has been heard about all year that they are one of the best in America. Of course, Kelvin Joseph and the and the thing going on with, with Seth Williams, I think that was obvious. It was a chippy game. I think like, that Kentucky team is going to run the ball all over some SEC teams this yeah, year. Especially with the way we saw some defenses play uh, yesterday in the league. Like, I think they're going to be just fine. might be easier for me to give them credit now that Auburn's won the game. But, like, that is going to be a fun offense to watch, even given that they're going to be pretty one-dimensional. And we saw Terry Wilson at some point. I mean, there were moments where it's like, all right, you know, you have yeah. progressed slightly as a passer. And, and, again, I don't want to complain too much because it's hack to do it. But, like, watching that game on TV, you kind of start hearing, and it was, like, early in the, second, early in the fourth quarter, it was like, well, no one expected Auburn and Kentucky, like, Kentucky to be in this spot. And it's like, who are we talking? And then it started going to, like, you know, Auburn fans didn't take Kentucky seriously, and their proof was, like, Charles Barkley, who, like, here's the thing about Barkley. A, it's a bit, and two, he 
doesn't even get predictions about the stuff he knows about right. Like he, they have a bit called a guarantee because he's bad at guaranteeing NBA picks. Like yeah. it's a joke. He's not taking when he's talking ish to Peyton Manning. It's not serious. And it was like it was like well, I mean, no one expected Kentucky to be in this spot. The spread was one touchdown. Yeah, the spread was one touchdown. I saw. I wouldn't say half, but I would say like of the people I saw who picked that game, maybe like 30 percent pick Kentucky. And there is a part of the Auburn fan base that believes Auburn will never win a game until they've won the game even if they're playing like Arkansas they're just going to be like well it's 11 a.m. kickoff and uh, Auburn's going to lose and it's like well and so then on like, top of that people the smart Auburn fans which there are a lot of you especially those of you who are listening to this podcast very smart. you're very smart you knew the challenges that were coming from this Kentucky team and they I had some edges going into this game, especially in the trenches, which seems to be a position that matters given some of the turnover Auburn's had. Yeah, Auburn talent won out in that game. Experience, like they played a clean, clean talent beat experience. Yeah, as the game went on, Auburn settled. They didn't make mistakes, and you're right, just had a better team. And it was fun to watch those guys talking uh, back and forth with Kentucky. I, I do feel like there was an edge in this game, and. You know, I, I didn't realize that Kentucky was kind of throwing it back at Auburn as much, but that makes sense given the amount of uh, chippiness we saw from Bo and Seth. Yep. Uh, what did Newkirk say? It was uh, it was Newkirk. He had that. Uh, I'm gonna, was it like a cryptic tweet or something? Yeah, it was like you have to kind of you have to kind of like start digging into that. I think it was Newkirk. I wonder if these good. guys are ever like. He said. He said. What was that? What was all the hype about? And he had the little like monocle emoji. <laughs> he said, "I guess they didn't know that we are built different." Uh, hashtag WDE. So, All right. Yeah. A little bit of chatter. Start off week one or week just, one in the SEC. Just some real, just some real chatter. That's gonna get me going uh, all year because it's what actually week four, but for me it's week one. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, that's a that's a good spot. Um, by the way, Auburn number seven in the AP poll. Georgia is at four. Polls are always kind of silly, but this year it seems particularly hard to know how Ohio to rank State, teams. And like those teams could get back in, and Ohio State's number six, which is kind of stupid to me considering like. Yeah, I'm cool if you like because we all know they're. Ohio State at three. Yeah, you like we all know they're going to be a top five team. Yeah. You know, whatever. I mean, I, I get it. It's like yeah, they haven't played yet. Right. Um. Anyway, we'll point. Uh, we'll point out number four versus number seven. We'll see what the line will be. I bet it'll be like around a touchdown or something like that. Game towards, day towards Georgia, maybe a little bit shorter. Uh, game day. We will talk a lot about the Georgia game later this week. Thursday, it'll be our first premium podcast, so get it signed up. Get it, get on the subscription train, which we will have set up, uh, I think, starting on Monday on uh, the Auburn Observer, so if you want to go ahead and get it, you will be able to get it. And like we said, if you listen to this on Spotify, the premium episodes will not be available there, but the free ones will still be able to be on there, so you're going to have to get like your own special feed to put in whatever podcast app you use. Pretty much everything but Spotify will take it. So. Yeah, Apple, Google, Stitcher, Pocket Cast. Again, if there's something else you want us to do, just let any, us know. We'll do it. Any third-party app that'll, that'll take a feed, uh, we will get that. So you can sign up. Um, again, Monday morning, I'm going to get that rolling. Um, so you can go ahead and uh, pay. Like I said, we're going to do $6 a month or $60 for a year. If you go ahead and pay up front, we'll give you two free months for it. Uh, to go along with it, and we appreciate everybody joining on mm-hmm. and going from there. And uh, if it works out, we'll start to see if we can do some. We'll do some cool things moving forward. I know people have asked about like T-shirts and like stickers and stuff like that. Let's get this thing rolling, and we might, we might, uh, we might provide that as well. Um, but appreciate everybody listening. Appreciate everybody, appreciate everybody reading AuburnObserver.com. Again, we are free all the way till Thursday. So Thursday is when the switch is made. So you're going to get a free uh, film room on Monday morning. 
you'll get one more free story on uh, on either Tuesday or Wednesday, most likely Wednesday. Um, yeah, well, I'll just go ahead and say it now. You'll get a free story. <laughs> you get a free story on Wednesday, and then on Thursday we will have another podcast and uh, probably another story in the mailbag. All that we are going to be in behind the paywall and the subscription. For those of you who have signed up and checked us out, we Thanks. really, really appreciate it. If you aren't going to be continuing on through when we go to the paid format, we get it. Times are tough. It'll still be here. It'll we hope you'll join here. us later. It'll still be here if you want to. And we appreciate you checking us out because it was really big for us to, you know, kind of take this next step. So all of you who have uh, subscribed and commented and tweeted and shared posts and, and t- yeah, whether it's encouragement or just saying you enjoy it and sharing it with your friends and family, rating and reviewing that helps us all that stuff. Tremendous. Thank you. Tremendous thank you for that. And, and and anywhere you listen to your podcast and you can rate and review and subscribe, all that, that does a big, it's a big for us. If you type in Auburn on Apple, we're like climbing. I think it's like right now, it's just like we're only behind Zach's podcast and the and under, Auburn Undercover podcast. So I feel like we're in a good spot there. Sweet. Um, so we appreciate all of you doing that. Follow me on Twitter at JFergusonAU. Follow him on Twitter at Pink Sharpless Painter. I don't know how the Bills are doing right now. We're going to get back to them. So we'll see you guys later this week. Maybe we'll get a fun little guest here for the Georgia game. We'll see. We'll see. We'll talk to you then. Thank you. Go Bills.